How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 17 of X-Lapsed. Today, we're going to be discussing X-Force, and uh, hard to believe, but we're up to volume 6 of X-Force. Yeah, where did my life go? It feels like I've wasted my entire life. We're up to volume 6. Um, now, this is issue 1, of course, uh, January 2020 cover date. The story is called Hunting Ground, written by Ben Percy. Art by Jos- Joshua Kisara, colors by Dean White. Letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna. Designs, Tom Muller, Head of X, Hickman. Edits, Lauren Amaro, Chris Robinson, Darren Shan, Jordan D. White, and C.B. Sabolski. Whew. Didn't Crisis on Infinite Earths have, like, one editor? I probably shouldn't say anything, because I know Marvel put, like, four editors on their one-page Harley-Davidson ad strips back in the day. Uh, Cover price, $5. On sale November 6, 2019. Now, uh, before we get into this one, I was a little bit trepidatious going in, um, simply because uh, the the writer involved, uh, I don't know a whole lot about Ben Percy's work, uh, other than the fact that he wrote, he had a run on Teen Titans a few years ago that I very much did not enjoy. Um, I was uh, the writer for uh, a website, Weird Science DC Comics, I would do uh, the Teen Titans reviews for a couple of years, and... They really weren't the best of times to be a Titans fan, but, you know, then again, outside of a very, very small period of time, it really is never a good time to be a Titans fan. But uh, I'm uh, hopeful, or I was hopeful, I've already read it, clearly, but I was hopeful going in that maybe Teen Titans was an aberration and not uh, a complete indictment on how I might feel about his work, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that as we go. Now we open it up, and we're at a meeting of the Court of Owls. Well, okay, probably not the Court of Owls. But we are at a meeting of a secret society. And before they get down to business, they decide there's going to need to be a letting of blood to ensure that there are no mutants among them. Now, if anyone present is determined as having an X gene, they will be dealt with accordingly, probably by being killed. And so, a blade goes around the table while a larger fellow makes sure each member pricks their finger. We finally get to one person in particular who says something about how it took them a whole lot of luck to get here and suggests that it's going to take a whole lot more luck to get out. Now, she stabs the big guy with the blade and starts wrecking masked goofs left and right until the big guy recovers and power bombs her through the table. This is, if the luck comment didn't tip you off, Domino. Before we move on, let's meet the cast of the issue. Beast, Wolverine, Black Tom Cassidy... Kitty Pride, see, even the other books won't call her Kate. Jean Grey, Sage, Professor X, Healer, the Morlock, and Domino. From here, our requisite dub-a-page spread of creds, then back to comics. We are on Krakoa, and Beast is collecting samples from a stream. 
he's suddenly attacked by a monstrous, well, beast. Uh, looks like a mix between a boar, a bear, and a giant dog. Next thing we know, Wolverine leaps in, claws snicked and ready. Beast tells Logan not to kill the animal, and it runs away. This leads to a sort of forced discussion about how they'll always be predators, even in paradise. Wolverine comments that Krakoa might be making everyone feel a little too safe, which, in turn, is making them a little too soft. Now, that's what we in the biz call foreshadowing. From here, an info page, the security features of Krakoa. The vital information we glean here is that Black Tom Cassidy is the host in charge, uh, in charge of the uh, security uh, functions, and he's in communication with plant intelligence both on land and at sea to you know, make sure nothing, nothing out of the ordinary happens. Speaking of Black Tom, he's chatting up some plant intelligence and Jean Grey via telepathy as we speak. He's learning that there's a bit of a disturbance, perhaps signaling the arrival of something that doesn't belong here. He rushes to the beach, where we find some rather nervous Krakoans pointing at an approaching boat. They have the understanding that the only way people can come or go to the island is via the gateways, so when they see a ship, they're rightfully nervous. Black Tom informs them that the rules don't apply to... Kitty Pride and the Marauders. See? Black Tom ain't gonna call her Kate either, so I feel a little bit better. Jean tells Tom that there's something on board Kitty's ship. Something that's full of pain. Jean greets Kitty by calling her Kitty, not Kate, and we get the skinny on her latest smuggling mission. You see, they managed to save a bunch of refugees who were victims of chemical weapons. Also, Colossus was there, and now he's back. I don't know if we were supposed to know that Colossus was anywhere. He was in Russia. They found him in Russia. They brought him back to Krakoa. Info page, Xavier's responses to non-treaty nations. We have two forms here, both the official and unofficial. And basically, the unofficial response has to do with the black market and the you know the hellfire, uh, uh, you know the exchange there with uh, with Kitty in the boat. We shift scenes to the Seoul Incheon International Airport from here, and we see a man with a mole above his left eye casually reading a book. At first, when we saw Colossus on the boat, I thought this might be shifting to like a flashback of Colossus being undercover. Like, with the mole being his entire disguise. Uh, I was hoping that was the case, but it was not. Also at this airport, we see a very severe-looking woman, and as she enters the plane, she is welcomed by a Cheshire Cat-looking pilot who refers to her as friend. So, uh, pretty inconspicuous, no? Back on Krakoa, Xavier checks in with Sage to see if Domino has ever made contact, because it's been over a week since they heard from her. And Sage reports she has not. Xavier asks her to do another sweep and to keep him in the loop if anything were to come up. He then steps into a Krakowan portal. Now this takes him to Sokovia, where he's greeted by some very, very excited dignitaries. They seem extremely keen to sign the Krakowan Treaty and offer the professor some champagne to, sh- to celebrate the occasion. Back to Krakoa. Jean and the Morlock healer are attempting to tend to the refugees' wounds. And Healer is just overwhelmed because these folks have just been brutalized to the point where they don't even know where they're hurting. You know, he can't stop their pain because he doesn't know where the pain is emanating from. Now, Jean gets a read on one and sees some of the atrocities they faced. She also sees Colossus shielding them from a hail of fire. She regretfully informs the Healer that she's not going to be a whole lot of help finding out where these people hurt because, well, they hurt everywhere. Oh, let's check back in with our three new inconspicuous friends on the plane. 
There's some turbulence, and so the oxygen masks drop. The pilot instructs everyone to breathe. However, when they do, they pass out. The only folks left awake are the Molai, the Severe Woman, and the Treasure Cat co-pilot, and a fourth character that we didn't see to this point. They all suit up into outfits that make them look like they're auditioning for a Wetworks relaunch. Now, when the plane is flying over Krakoa, they all jump out, taking a tight formation looking not unlike a comet crashing toward the Earth. Seeing this glowing mass headed toward Krakoa, Black Tom gets a hold of Sage, and she's aware of it. She also reports that her monitors are starting to glitch out a bit. And now, she's also getting reports that Domino's back, which is a bit odd. Now, Tom rushes toward the Krakoan gateway Xavier entered, which, as luck would have it, Xavier is passing back through. Black Tom is here, and he's fretting something fierce. There's some bad hoodoo in the air and, and in the dirt, and he does not trust anybody arriving on the island without going through the Krakoan gateways. Now, Xavier brushes this concern off, and he even, like, sort of kind of threatens Tom's job on the island. He's like, you know, not a lot of people like like you. <laughs> not a lot of people want you in the position you're in. So maybe keep your mouth shut or something. I, it, it felt very, very off-putting. Tom, he, he won't be denied. He tries to press the issue, but Xavier ain't having it. He says in no uncertain terms that all mutants can be trusted. And at that very moment, our Whitworks team has made landfall. And they immediately headshot a mutant mother. Like right off the bat. Bang. Right between the eyes. Suddenly, the beach is bathed in laser targets. Tom tells Xavier to hightail it, and the professor does not need to be told twice. He is like a cartoon character. Just zip. He's gone. Meanwhile, the Whitworks team is just decimating any mutant they can find. We get a couple of cameos here. We have Boom Boom, who... Looks like she reverted back to her uh, late 80s outfits. So that's, uh, that's something. Uh, now, Black Tom goes on the offensive. He starts attacking the baddies with the full wrath and evidently the genitals of Krakoa. Professor X continues to flee, but he worries that these invaders will not stop until they find and kill him. We catch up with Wolverine, who is very nearly taken out. He's saved by Beast, who, from the looks of it, uses his teeth on the severe-looking woman. And this is a forced callback to their forced predator conversation from earlier in the issue. Jean and Black Tom continue taking the fight to the baddies, one of whom gets a little bit chatty, asking why the mutants didn't see this coming, and why would they ever think there wouldn't be any sort of clapback on their Krakoan grandstanding? Well, you know, those of us who are waiting for shoes to drop, we, we might have seen it coming, but nobody asks us. Anywho, one of the invaders has managed to catch up with Xavier, who is standing with his hands up. Then, blam! Wolverine lunges at the gunman, nearly rending him in two. Beast pulls Logan off, reminding him that they need to have at least one of these invaders left alive so they can question them. And we wrap up with a full-page spread. A shattered and smoking Cerebro helmet, blood, and Professor Xavier's limp hand. Well, alrighty then. Uh, let's, let's talk about this, huh? <laughs> this was uh, certainly something. I will say, before we get into it, uh, this was worlds better than anything anything Teen Titans related that Benjamin Percy did, so that I will hand him. Um, now, some of the dialogue was a little eh, but at least the entire book wasn't filled with members of the team being threatened to be kicked off the team or threatening to quit the team. It was like hardly a page of his Teen Titans would go by without that happening. It was not a pleasant read. Now, about this issue... We talk a lot about stakes here, and I, I probably dwell on it too much. 
But here's one case where a death, or an assumed death, is actually pretty striking. I mean, I've asked the question before, you know, what happens if the Cerebro helmet gets destroyed? We do know that there are backups, but what of Professor X? You know, what of Xavier? Now, I don't want to say anything about shoes dropping. <laughs> but because I just don't. Uh, I, I think we're either about to get a real a big reveal here, or we're about to experience just one heck of a cop-out. Um, I don't know if there'll be any middle ground, though I've been wrong before. Now... This is the fourth team book we're looking at here, right? Um, and actually, the entire first wave of Dawn of X books are all team books. And it's it's no fault of this issue in particular, but I feel like for some of them, we're not actually getting teams. You know, uh, the X-Men book, and here in X-Force, who is X-Force? Is there actually an X-Force, or is this just another way to put another book out? And I mean, we are only 20 pages in, so I should probably not ask those questions just yet. But um, I don't know. It, 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 is the people are the people we saw here X Force? But some of them are also X Men. Is there going to be a delineation, or is there going to just be you know whatever whatever mission you're on is that that's the team you're in? I, I suppose we'll find out. But maybe instead of talking about our non-team, we should just talk about the folks we do hang out with here. Uh, Domino does what Domino does. Uh, it's a Kind of interesting that when the Wetworks team came in, Sage mentioned that she got a reading on Domino as well. And I'm assuming that the Wetworks team is mixed up with the Court of Owls from the beginning. And uh, honestly, I was expecting one of the bad guys to be unmasked and revealed as like a mind-wiped Domino or something. Uh, which, I mean, nothing we haven't seen before, but still, it would be something. Uh, Beast and Wolverine. Their scenes were probably the weakest here to me. I felt very one to grow on. Uh, like... You know, like, uh, Percy really wanted to make that predator analogy, and so he worked backwards from it for the whole were-boar-bear-dog thing. <laughs> it's, uh, it felt a little bit forced, a little bit stilted. Um, now, Gene and Healer scene felt kind of the same. Uh, like, he really wanted to drop that they heard everywhere line, and they worked backwards from it. And, I mean, that's not a bad way to write, and I'm not a writer, so I have really no, no place, you know, critiquing someone's method, but... It does lend itself to some rather forced sounding back and forth, in my in my opinion. Uh, you know, that, that might just be me. Now, Black Tom. Old Tom probably stole the show here. Uh, I mean, who saw that coming? I liked him being, like, tied in with the island and paranoid. I thought that was a really good take. And uh, I, I like that, I mean, Black Tom is... Not necessarily an A-lister. Even as a, you know, as a bad guy, he was just a... He was kind of a joke. He was just the guy who hung out with Juggernaut, you know. Um, and it's 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 odd that they're they're framing him as being terribly paranoid and like almost and just dismissed by everybody he <laughs> tries to warn, even though he has a better read on it, on things than anybody else in the book. So I, I like that that sort of dichotomy there. Um, Xavier just dismissing him and and like I said, he's. He threatened to yoink him out of his position. I thought that was a little bit weird. Uh, it it reminds me, I worked in retail for like a week and a half. Um, in between jobs, I, I helped build a hobby supply store, a large hobby supply store here in the U.S. of A. And uh, as part of like filling out my pay, you know, like the pay structure, I, I worked a few days as just a retail associate. 
And uh, I remember showing my manager like empty packages of shoplifted goods. You know, like if you see things things that are just open and just left empty on a shelf, like am I supposed to leave it there? Or am I supposed to bring it to someone's attention? Well, I chose to bring it to the manager's attention, and they'd get mad at me. <laughs> They'd be like, what are you showing this to me for? It's like, well, what do you want me to do with it? It's if it, it feels, you know, of course, in a very, very minor way, kind of how, how old Tom here is trying to be like, hey, you know, there's stuff going on, and he's just being told like, hey, if you keep bringing things to my attention, I'm going to fire you. But uh, other than that, I think Xavier was presented pretty well here. Um, I liked seeing him act as a, you know, sort of like a diplomat and getting some business done. Though those uh, those fellas in uh, in Sokovia, they might have been a little too happy to see him. Um, I mean, call me a cynic, and today's feedback is certainly going to, but uh, I don't trust them. <laughs> now, overall, a fine, fine enough first issue uh, with some great, if not a bit dark, art. I thought the art very much fit the story. Um, I don't think it'll outrank Marauders or New Mutants on my enjoyment scale for this first, uh, first outing, but... Uh, I figure it'll probably fall somewhere in the middle of my rankings if I actually remember to do them. But uh, that's X-Force number one. Uh, next episode, we'll be taking a look at Fallen Angels number one. So we'll be wrapping up all, you know, the all six number ones. So until until the wave two kicks in. But uh, alrighty, let's head to a little bit of feedback here, which, as mentioned earlier on, uh, calls your boy out uh, for being a little bit of a curmudgeon or a little bit set in, the, set in my ways or... Know, maybe being a little bit too cynical and uh yeah you know i will own that <laughs> i will completely own that i am definitely you know set in my ways as to what i think an x book ought to look like and uh and it's sometimes hard for me to uh, reconcile that with what's going on today i am trying uh, i am trying here uh you know baby steps <laughs> this is a a brave new world for me and I'm working at it, but let's get to the first piece here from Spreading Chaos Across Comic Land at Chaos Chaos and Comics on Twitter. He says here, I'm listening to your Powers of X podcast number six. Mora's Tenth Life is the 616 universe. And uh, he links me to a CBR article, which I broke my one of my main rules of comics fandom, and I actually clicked on it because I usually will do whatever I can to avoid a CBR article. But I did look at it, and... uh, well, what I got was speculation. Um, this this article came out right after uh, House of X number two, where we had the big reveal that Mora had the uh, the multiple lives, and it's speculation. I'm not sure I would, you know, say that was 100% confirmation, but knowing that CBR and Marvel are pretty tight, uh, I guess we can maybe assume that there's some uh, some weight to it. Spreading Chaos continues by saying, you're going, to, you're going to find much more enjoyment going forward if you recognized he, Jonathan Hickman, launched a new path for mutants and you strap in for the ride. Otherwise, every podcast will be you want, waiting for shoes to fall from the sky. And, I mean, that's kind of the mission statement of X-Lapsed. Um, that's kind of the whole point. I stopped reading the X-Books in the first place back in 2016, 2015, 2016, because... I couldn't strap in for the ride because the ride we were being offered, in my opinion, sucked. Uh, I thought it was absolute trash. The worst X-Men I had tried reading was those uh, blue and gold books. Didn't have the voice I wanted, and so I stopped. If I wasn't open to strapping in, as you put it, uh, I wouldn't be doing this show. Um... I, I waste a lot of things. I waste money, I waste time, I waste brain space, but I don't waste effort. 
I like to think I don't anyway. And uh, over the past two to three weeks, I've probably devoted 50, 60 hours to House of X, Dawn of uh, House of X, Powers of X, Dawn of X. And uh, I don't think I would do that if I wasn't open for the possibility that I was going to be open to the change, right? You know, I, I do understand that this is a new deal here. And if I wasn't on board or willing to be on board, there's no way I would have spent that much time, that much effort doing what I'm doing right now. Um, that being said, if uh, there are things that come up in these stories that I'm confused about or I just don't plain don't like... I'm going to mention it. I mean, that's... Otherwise, again, there's no point. Um, I could give you the just the facts sort of thing and uh, a 10 out of 10 score and devote half the episode to uh, calling Jonathan Hickman a bulletproof genius, but, I mean, there are a lot of places on the internet you can get that. <laughs> that's just not going to be what happens here. I'm going to... This is my journey, as much as it is a recap of, uh, of these books. So... I definitely appreciate you listening and you reaching out, but I can't promise that I'm going to stop, you know, waiting for those shoes to drop. <laughs> that's just, uh, that's just what I do, and uh, that's part of the process and part of the journey for me. Um, he also sent a tweet from Jonathan Hickman about, uh, I did fret a little bit about legacy numbering back in the X-Men number one episode, and Jonathan Hickman sent out a tweet uh, that said, I know it's a lot of copies, but I just emailed Marvel to ask if we can pulp X-Men number one because there's a massive typo on the cover. It says X-Men number one, Legacy 645. It should say X-Men number one, Legacy one. With all due respect to Jonathan Hickman, I will wait a few years and see if Marvel puts out an Uncanny X-Men number 700 when, uh, <laughs> when we get there to, uh, to see whether or not that that you know that that holds a whole lot of water. And plus, I mean, this is Marvel, and we do get near annual reboots and restarts. So, who knows? Who knows? Um, it's hard to say one way or another <laughs> which way that's gonna land. But uh, but thank you, uh, uh, spreading chaos, for your message and reaching out and for listening. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, next piece of uh, mail comes from Damien, who we haven't heard from in a couple of days. And he says, I finally got around to listening to this last episode of Hoxpox, and it's the first time our opinions really differed over the course of this series. We really reacted differently to the final revelations. First, I see no change in established continuity in terms of what happened, only in terms of why they happened. Everything is the same, but they added an extra behind-the-scenes manipulator. I love the fact that they're bending over backwards to incorporate everything, even the stuff most fans would happily ignore, like the Leprechauns of Cassidy Keep, Nightcrawler's Dad's Nonsense, AVX, Deadly Genesis. There is no reboot. There is a backdoor set up to create a reboot later, i.e. when Mora dies, but none as of yet. And, uh... I, I hope that's the case. I really do hope that's the case. Um, but again, I don't know that it's been said. Uh, then again, I haven't read much further, so I am hopeful that that's the way it is. I'm hopeful that everything happened exactly the way we read it. But I also know that I'm not alone in thinking that things have been pulled out. Uh, a lot of the reactions that I've heard, you know, folks are saying this is a full blown reboot, or perhaps the thing, everything we saw did happen, but maybe not in the same Mora life cycle. So it's, I, I feel okay that I'm not alone in that, but I'm also definitely open to the possibility that this is 
you know, as uh, Spreading Chaos said earlier, that this is the 616. Um, I would hope that's the case, but uh, perhaps my cynicism comes from uh, what Damien's about to suggest here. He says, Your reaction reminds me of someone who is unable to create a relationship because their last partner cheated on them. They're always waiting to have their trust abused again. And, uh, yeah, kinda. Um, I know comics aren't, you know, they shouldn't be the, you know, a big deal in, in people's lives. It's a, what is it, an escapist hobby, you know? It shouldn't be something that we invest this much effort and energy into worrying about. But, yeah, I, uh, I am always waiting for the rug to be yanked from under me. Um, I feel like the industry now is, it's about the short term more than ever. Um, it's all about, you know, licking your finger, putting it in the sky and seeing which way the wind's blowing to see, to dictate and inform, uh, what's going to come. Um, I mean, going back to, you know, one of the biggies, um, the new 52, a year before the new 52, we were told there's a brand new direction called brightest day and every, you're going to want to read everything in brightest day because, and I mean, this is me falling for, you know, a sales ploy here pure and simple, but, you know, you get, we were told that this was going to lead somewhere, you know, we were given these promises, maybe not in so many words, but we were told that, you know, this is where you get on, and this is where we're going, and then all of a sudden, the the rug was yanked out from under us. Uh, I, I worry about that kind of thing, because it just happens so damn often these days. We are doing short-term gains here, we're canceling titles, we're relaunching titles, we're sometimes doing two number ones in a single month. It's just a disaster uh, when it comes to uh, having comfort, you know, with uh, with what we have here. And it's funny that, and I've mentioned this before, but uh, one of the one of the biggest criticisms levied at comics fandom is that we're so hesitant to to change. We're so reluctant to change. We're so uninviting of change. But I mean, I've been reading these things for thirty years, and I can't think of a period of time that we weren't in a constant flux where everything wasn't constantly changing. Uh, it's just, you know, weird. And yeah, uh, your, your point is very well taken here. I am always waiting for the rug to be yanked out, or as I put it so often, I'm waiting for shoes to drop that are just going to totally blow my mind here. Uh, back to Damien's message. He says, I was with you in hating the year 1000 stuff, but got something different out of its ending. I was pleased to see Mora's lives as resetting the same universe rather than starting an alternate reality. It means that there's a higher threat level. If she dies, the real world ends. It also means people cannot travel between Mora's lives. That's a very interesting premise I hadn't yet considered. Um, and I do like what you said there about people not traveling between lives, because I feel like that's something that could be used and abused. Um, and, uh, um, you know... We have reality-bending mutants, so I'm not totally convinced that that won't happen. I mean, we do have Proteus. We do have um, we do have all sorts of things that could happen. I mean, we have time travelers, so we could go back and and we can move, you know, Mora's trajectory. So there there is always that back door. But uh, I do like uh, raising the stakes here. Uh, if Mora dies for the last time, does that mean the world ends? Does that mean the six one six is no more? Unfortunately for me, that just raises even more questions and more um, cynicism and more worry. Uh, because 
it's now something I'm not going to be able to unsee, right? Um, and that kind of, that's kind of what gave me my initial um, sort of knee-jerk preconception of Jonathan Hickman's writing. I feel like this is a well he goes to pretty often. Uh, during his Fantastic Four run, we kept hearing about universes being reborn, and this was like right after the uh, the New 52, right? So that was kind of in the air at the time. And I don't know if that was like a meta-commentary on it, or maybe just something to scare the straights, you know, scare people like me who are so set in their ways as to what... Uh, you know, continuity is and the value of continuity. I don't know if that was just like a tip of the hat to us as a, you know, maybe you have something to worry about. But I mean, that's what kept me from fully enjoying the Fantastic Four run because I was worried every time. It's like, okay, we're, we're getting, we're getting closer to something being, you know, a universe being reborn. And is that going to be, is that going to be the end of Marvel as we know it? You know, and then go on to his Avengers run where for the better part of a year, Every issue of Avengers, New Avengers, Secret, all the different Avengerses had a countdown on top of it. A banner counting down how many more months were left until the end. And that, you know, as, as much as it shouldn't, as much as I should have been able to strap in and enjoy the ride, that was always in the back of my head. It's like, well, am I really going to invest in these last seven or eight months if this is all going away? Is this, is this my time to leave? Uh, is this... It just made it difficult. For me to get on board because we have no guarantees and uh, Marvel especially seems a little bit too pleased with themselves when they come to these sort of uh, crossroads where you know maybe we'll restart everything maybe we won't maybe we'll reboot maybe we won't it seems like the all of the news items like at our our vaunted CBR will be more predicated on discussing the outrage rather than the actual organic story of it. So I wonder, like, are we leading up to a time? And, and of course, we, this is all speculation. We have no confirmation of this. It's just me being a worrywart. If Mora dies for the final time, does that mean the following month we get 52 new number ones? Uh, is this, you know, the new take on the Marvel Universe? I mean, it certainly is. As you, as you put it, it is a backdoor, you know. I wonder, and I, I hope not, but you never know. Uh, back to Damien's message, he says, I think they were implying that the phalanx was outside of time and space, so them having knowledge of Mora and her abilities would enable them to more fully absorb the entire universe. Her dying allows the universe to rise up and destroy the phalanx because she can keep trying different strategies to stop them. The librarian was wrong, as evidenced by his getting himself killed by Wolverine. That's, you know, that's a very... Uh, I, I always say that I, I miss the forest for the trees, or however you say that statement here. So I do look for, for things where maybe they're not, and I just miss the things that are plainly in front of my nose. Um, on that note, Damien says, I also think you're overthinking the Mora Diaries. Magneto has been shown as joining the plan on the island, uh, placing it post Uncanny number 150. I expect the loss of Magneto refers to his return to villainy circa X-Men number 1. That's X-Men volume 2 number 1 from 1991. I'm not surprised that he left the plan, as this story says that Mora genetically altered Magneto. And it's true. Uh, we are covering that era of books over on from Claremont to Claremont. So if you have an extra dozen hours or so, those are very, very long episodes <laughs> where we discuss an entire month's worth of X-Men books uh, from X-Men volume 2 number 1 all the way up. Uh... 
But yes, that is a uh, a story beat there that Mora genetically altered Magneto while he was in baby form following that uh, issue of Defenders uh, back probably man I knew I knew the date. I think late 70s early 80s is <laughs> probably as close as I'll be able to to uh, you know dartboard it there but uh yes, I, to to get to the to the point. I am definitely overthinking the diaries, right? Um and it's again, it's another instance of me um, seeing, not seeing what's plainly in front of me. And because uh, I'm, here's the thing. Before I started this project, I heard that there were these huge revelations, right? And I think this is the problem with being, at, you know, quote, ex-lapsed. In my mind, I built them up to being something far greater than they actually were. Which isn't to say that the revelations we did get weren't huge, because they were. The, re- the resurrections were huge. Mora's lives, huge. But I think since we were kind of spoon-fed those, you know, we were told those without any uncertainty. Mora has these multiple lives. They're, they are growing X-Men, you know, replacements in eggs. We were told those things. And uh, it, was, it was spoon-fed to us. I was expecting something that wasn't spoon-fed to us, right? I was expecting there, as I said many, many times, and as I'm about to be taking a task for here, I was expecting that other shoe to drop. And I was expecting it to be huge, um, because that's what I was led to believe. And, and which sucks for me, because I discounted these other huge revelations as being a little, not underwhelming, but I kept expecting the next one, right? So... Here we are, and I'm expecting, like in the diaries here, I'm looking at it as the full history of the X-Men. You know, of course, there were a couple of redactions, but I'm expecting this to be, okay, well, this is your continuity going forward, which made me, like, wonder, hey, where, where did this story happen? Well, where did this story happen? When did this death happen? When did, uh, when did this person join? When did this person leave? Because I'm basing it entirely on here, because I'm waiting for this other reveal. That's my bad, of course. Uh, that's just my, you know, my broken brain trying to reach for, uh, for whatever, I guess. Um, it's almost like I'm looking for a life raft, and, uh, that's, again, no fault of the story, no fault of the info pages, no fault of anything but my own preconceptions. And uh, definitely, as I mentioned with the previous email, that's something I'm, I'm trying to write myself on. And, uh, and this project is, uh, is part of that. Uh, back to Damien's message. He says, similarly, the death of Mora's Gollum references her dying with a legacy virus. The only real change to that storyline is that she's no longer the first human to get it, although you can understand why she would hide her abilities. And yes, that makes 100% uh, sense. Um, and, I mean, part of me just wishes they said legacy virus, uh, <laughs> because it would give me... It would give me that lightning rod, you know? I know it's there. You know, it would give me that touchstone. Uh, oh, it's like I can place it. Where now I... Without it, I mean, uh, it's, you know, it's just me being weird. But uh, let's move on. Uh, next, uh, Damien discusses footwear and my fascination with it. You talk about expecting another shoe to drop and not getting one. I read this issue expecting them to throw all the shoes up in the air as a setup for Dawn of X, and I got my wish. Hickman has most of a shoe shop swirling around. 
and he mentioned some questions that he that rose from this issue. What is Mora's plan? What are Charles and Magneto going to? Are, are Charles and Magneto going to follow it? We know they've done things Mora disapproves of in the past. What's Apocalypse planning? Does he know that Moore is alive? What'll Mystique do when they don't resurrect Destiny? How do they stop Rogue, an X-Men leader, from resurrecting her mother? What will Orcus do? They still have Sentinels and their space station. What is Sinister doing, and why? What happens if he stops helping them? All of these questions and more had me so excited about Dawn of X. I couldn't wait to find out what happens next. My negative reaction to the Dawn of X is because I desperately wanted to see how and where the shoes dropped, and instead, it felt like everyone was walking around barefoot. And yeah, those are very good points. Those are very good points. And had I not been expecting to... I mean, House of X number six ended, and I had... You know, I mentioned it. I had chills from that, that issue. I loved it. If the, if the series had ended there, I think I'd have received it a lot better. Um, because I just don't think we got enough from Powers of X number six. We did get a little bit, and we did get some questions raised, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think I would have been more satisfied with that and having the, the bits from Powers of X maybe peppered within the first few issues of Dawn of X. Though, I mean, this is just me, you know, you know uh, spitballing here. But all those questions there are very, very important, um... What is Mora's plan? What, how does she define failure? How does she define not failing? You know, what, what is she, what, what's, what's she got in mind? Uh, we do know Charles and Magneto got sinister without her being completely on board, so that's cool. Um, that's definitely, it gives them, even in the face of knowing what's to come, it gives them a measure of autonomy, aut- autonomy, easy for me to say, where, you know, not everything isn't written. You know, everything is not necessarily fated to be because Charles and Magneto still have free will and uh, anything can change, which is a very cool thing. And it really makes it raises those, you know, non life or death stakes a bit for me. Uh, Very good questions. But uh, and definitely they're ones I'm looking forward to see play out, Uh, though. I still don't care about Orcus. (laughs) I really don't. But uh We'll take the uh, we'll take the less interesting with the more interesting, I suppose. Um, back to Damien's message here. He says, "I think I've o- I've overstretched the shoe analogy. I felt like all the major storylines were being paused to be picked up later. I bought X Men up to issue number nine, and there was one issue, issue six, that felt like a genuine contribution to the central premise. I'm not saying there's nothing of value in the other issues. I enjoyed some of the soapy stuff and liked what they did with Brew, but I'm not getting enough of the story to warrant the cost." I can read everything on Marvel Unlimited in six months or pick them up in the clearance box a year or so later. And uh, from that description, I'm unfortunately getting some DC Rebirth vibes from from uh, from that. Uh, similarly, if uh, folks are familiar with DC Rebirth, and I'm assuming a lot of folks are, uh, Jeff Johns, he tossed all the shoes in the air in Rebirth number one. Um, we were getting these glimpses of... There were just so many threads, you know? We, we saw Saturn Girl, we saw some references to the Justice Society, of course, you know, the Comedian's Button, the multiple Jokers, you know? Uh, unfortunately, those shoes must have been like rocket shoes, because damn near none of them ever actually made landfall until they had to kind of, kind of like reverse, <laughs> you know, take them apart and put them back together in different ways, and... Uh, Pretty much dismiss a lot of what John's put in there Because he took so damn long to follow up on it um, 
We saw Doomsday Clock, a, a year-long story, take like three years to come out. And by the end of it, DC couldn't stop treading water, so they had to move on and rendered a lot of it out of, uh, you know, out of continuity anyway. So it went, that was one of those books that, as soon as it finished, it was already obsolete. <laughs> and that kind of sucks, especially for like the, for a story that is supposed to be like the the, the drink stirring straw, right? But that's kind of what I'm getting from uh, the description here of Dawn of X. Uh, I hope that isn't the point, but I have uh, I have no reason to doubt Damien's uh, words here for sure. Um, yeah, so this might be, a, you know, a tough road to hoe for a little bit. Um, we are, you know, coming up to X of Swords pretty quick, so maybe we'll get some more answers then. Maybe the revelations from X of Swords will. Uh, Retroactively make some of the events that happened in the earlier issues of Dawn of X Might mean something more than they do on at face value I suppose we'll find out as we go, right? Now back to Damien's message He says, the other issue is the art R.B. Silva, Marty Gracia, and particularly Pepe Raz were spectacular As you said, their work was impeccable The art on Dawn of X was not as good Apart from Rod Reese on New Mutants, who was alternating with other X-Men Gold artists, and Marcus Toe on Excalibur, the art has not really worked. Lionel Yu is a great artist, but for some reason they've put a lot of comedy into X-Men, which he cannot deliver. You'll notice my pick-a-favorite X-Men issue, that was issue 6, was drawn by Mahmoud Azrar. He would be a much better pick. And, uh, you know, I did, I did talk about my appreciation for Rod Reese during the New Mutants episode. It's just... <laughs> Wonderful, ridiculously amazing stuff there um, I did flip through Fallen Angels, number one And uh, Simon Kudransky's work is uh, is also very good It's different, different, for sure It's darker, but I like it um, And I remember really enjoying Mahmoud Azrar on I want to say, like, post-schism Wolverine and the X-Men, maybe If I'm remembering right or maybe it was the second volume of Wolverine and the X-Men. Whichever it was, I'm, I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to seeing his work here again. Uh, I do agree on Lionel. I, I think he's a like super talented artist, but for whatever reason, I'm always a little bit disappointed when I find out he's coming onto a book I'm reading. <laughs> I can't explain why. Because I think the dude's fantastic. I just, I don't know, I just don't want to don't read it. I don't know. Um... Back to Damien, he says, Generally speaking, I feel like Dawn of X is an attempt to fleece money out of me. Hoxpox was great, whereas Docs is okay. If I was grading on a curve, I would be more generous. There are too many times there are many times in the last 30 years where okay would have been a huge improvement. But having just read Hoxpox, I know they can do better. And yeah, uh, your point once again is very well taken here. Um Going back to Jason Colby's email from episode 14, he said uh, something along the lines of, you know, Hickman had us prepped for the extraordinary. So basically, anything less would feel like it was falling short or underachieving. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's a, it's a bit of a you know precipitous drop <laughs> from one to the other. They're, they're totally different. Um, and, and I'll go more into that uh, toward the end here. But uh, I could definitely see... Where, where uh, Dio, Dawn of X would be a little bit underwhelming in comparison. Um, and as for fleecing us, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is just you know part and parcel current year comics, unfortunately. And uh, you know, to uh, 
go back to when I was still on the fringes, right? I, uh, I was just starting to become X-curious again. This was when I heard that there was going to be a new X-Men number one. Um, I didn't have any interest in House of X, Powers of X, because I, I thought it was just going to be a, another weird excuse to stop publishing X-Men books for a few months. I mean, we were just coming off of uh, Age of X-Men, which was another just weird time where they, they stopped publishing the main X-Men books and they just put these other miniseries out. I think I was under the assumption that House of X and Powers of X was going to be more of the same. Um, and, uh, you know, just putting the X-Men in their own universe because you know, yada yada movie rights, yada yada whatever. And I, I just dismissed it. As that, I didn't know that this was the the new jumping on point at the at that time. So, I told myself I would buy X Men number one, and uh, from there I would just buy the X Men main story. You know, I would just buy that and not worry about anything else until you know I became a little bit less ignorant on the new uh, Dawn of X uh, era. And then I saw that there were six books, and they were double shipping for a few months, and you know, um, I, at my core, I am an all-or-nothing sort of comic fan, uh, and it, that, that's that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's definitely not a good thing, but uh, yeah, it felt definitely like we were being taken to the cleaners. Um, whereas they could have put out a few solid books, instead we got a half dozen that were coming out twice a month for a few months. Yeah, it felt like they, they knew they had us, and especially... You know, going back to your earlier point, we had all these unanswered questions from House of X that I'm sure, or House of X, Powers of X, that I'm sure a lot of folks were interested in seeing followed up on. And uh, we were kind of a captive audience at that point. You know, we've already invested, oh boy, what was it? Uh, like 70 bucks on House of X, Powers of X? Have 70 bucks American? So, I mean, it would be silly not to follow up, right? So... Yeah, I could definitely see being fle- feeling fleeced, for sure. Uh, back to uh, wrapping up Damien's email. He says, uh, Talking of doing better, I need to once again big you up. I'm loving your coverage. I've got a busy couple of weeks coming up, so I know I'm going to fall behind, but I'm really looking forward to hearing what comes next, and maybe you'll convince me that I'm wrong about Dawn of X. Well, thank you so much, Damien. I, and I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed hearing from you uh, and picking your brain throughout this journey. Uh, it's been most appreciated. Um, some of the funnest parts of putting this together has been the feedback, and I've always enjoyed uh, your messages. They've been, uh, they've been wonderful. And I do hope that you will pop in from time to time during uh, the Dawn of X here. And, I mean, this goes out to everybody. I totally understand that Dawn of X is like a different animal than... Uh, the opening salvo of House of X, Powers of X, and um, as such, there's going to be there's probably going to be far less urgency in following along, at least in real time. And I'm sure listenership will take a dip, uh, much like you know, much like the sales of the comics themselves, right? A uh, number one is always going to sell more than a number you know thirteen, uh, unless something major happens. Um, so I'm expecting there to be. A bit less urgency, a bit less engagement going forward here. Um, I always try to talk myself up as building a resource. Uh, that's one of the things that keeps me sane-ish. So <laughs> these will be here uh, for you whenever you uh, whenever you do find the time. And I hope you do. Uh, and I hope you do continue to share your wonderful point of view here because I've really, really appreciated it. And I feel like I've learned so much from your point of view because... 
as mentioned, you know, we do view these things through our own prisms, and some of us, uh, i.e. me, miss the things that are plainly in front of my nose, uh, trying to look at what symbols may or may not be there. So thank you, Damien. Uh, thank you, Spreading Chaos, for reaching out. Thank you, everyone, for reaching out and following along. Uh, it really does this soul good. <laughs> but I think that's where I'll let you all go today. I'll let you get on with your day here. Uh, next episode, we will be looking at Fallen Angels. We'll be wrapping up the uh, the number ones, the Dawn of X number ones for the first wave. We'll be wrapping those up, and maybe if I remember, we'll uh, we'll rank them. You know, not that that's a huge selling point for uh, listening, but uh, we'll see which ones I like best and which one I like the least. So we'll go from there. Um, you know, if anybody would like to reach out, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You could also check in at the blog over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarth.com. There's also the Xlapsed subdomain at xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarth.com, which I link to in the show notes, where you can find all the shows in order. So if you did miss some, if, you, if you're just discovering the show and you want to go back to the beginning, that might be an easy way to do it. Uh, the full audio archives you could find at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that includes all of the X-Lapsed. Um, also, Moratory Mondays, where me and Chris Bailey go through every single issue of Strike Force Moratory. We have we have very very few left, and that does, as the name implies, come out every Monday. Um, there's also the full archives for uh, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, as well as Weird Comics History. All the gatherums are there. Chris's on Infinite Earths is there. Uh, a lot of audio there. Uh, tens of thousands of hours of audio is there. So uh, if uh, you like what I do, you may want to look into some of that stuff as well. If you don't, well, then you're, you're probably not listening at this point anyway. But uh, <laughs> I thank you nonetheless. So one last huge thank you to everyone for hanging out. And uh, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.